0: Pleasure to see you. So much, uh, so much good. Thank you, Jerry. Great great songs. And uh, David for uh, helping us focus our minds. It's uh, always so good. I'd like to ask you a question this morning uh, concerning as we begin. Someone asked you, uh, tell me about the book of Acts. What would you say? What would be your response? I would suggest there would probably be some different responses. Some would say, well, it's a it's a history of the first century church. It's, uh, it shows the growth of the gospel of Christ. Uh, it shows how the church grew. Uh, others might say, it, it certainly gives us a great picture of what it means to become a Christian and how people became a Christian. And all of those things, of course, would be true because there would be various parts of Acts that would certainly cover a lot of that, nothing wrong with those answers. But I would suggest to you this morning that those would be details in a bigger picture and a bigger message that we wanna talk about this morning. Um, This brings us to the second point of this introduction and and that is Acts is not, and, and this may be a little shocking statement, Acts is not history. It should not be looked at as history. It should be looked at as doctrine. It should be looked at as the teaching of God. Paul said in Second Timothy chapter 3, that all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God be perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Acts is a doctrinal instruction on our lives. And that's something that I think in our approach, certainly my approach to it, has not always been the case. I've looked more at details, things that he taught, things that'd be valuable for for us in teaching others today. But I would like to suggest you there's something greater here. And that's what I wanna talk about uh, this morning. I've told you, a few weeks ago, or even last week, that I've been working on this for a number of months, and uh, it has really struck me. It, it has um, hit me deeply, and I'm hoping to share that that same thing with you. We we begin in our talking about Acts with just an understanding, a brief mention, that that Luke in his introduction and at the end of his letter concentrates on the kingdom of God and everything that you see in between is about the kingdom of God. He starts with the fact that Jesus spends 40 days teaching the disciples about the kingdom. He then instructs them concerning the kingdom, and that the kingdom is something that he is now restoring, and that this restoration of the kingdom will go on throughout his reign in heaven. And then all that you see in between is about the kingdom in Acts chapter 8, we see Philip preaching to the people the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ and men and women were baptized. Everything is about the kingship of our Lord, the kingship of who God is and what he is doing and the apostles are his witnesses to his resurrection, his ascension and thus his enthronement as king on the throne. It is important, too, to see that as we begin this message, as Luke begins the message, we very, very quickly run into uh, upheaval. We run into persecution. Immediately in chapter 4, the chief priest and the elders and the scribes bring together a council, and they bring Peter and John in, and they command them to no longer speak in this name anymore. Peter and John, of course, give the great answer of we have to obey God rather than man. And then they return to their company and they offer a prayer in chapter 4. And the prayer is the essence of what was read for us this morning by Brian on Psalm 2. And what did we see in Psalm 2? We saw the very words that the apostles here utter in chapter 4 of acts and when you see this in verse 25 they make mention of who through the mouth of our father david your servant said by the holy spirit why did the gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the lord and against his anointed psalm 2 sets up the message of this letter jesus is enthroned as king he's enthroned as lord he is the christ and as soon as he is we see the psalm 2 come into effect psalm 2 let us know from way back a thousand years before christ that when god would take the throne and set his son on that throne the nations would rage and the rulers would plot, and there would be a battle that would go on throughout that between these rulers. That apostle's prayer sets that forth, and the major message that we see then is there now is the beginning of the great battle of who's going to rule in the minds of people in this world. And the major message that we see in Luke's second letter here is, there's a new Lord and a new king. It's almost like some of those old movies, right? There's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> well, there's a new Lord and there's a new king. And he is come to set in order that which has not been in order. And then you see this take place through all of the, of the letter over and over again. The battle is revealed in many different forms throughout this time. We see an unrelenting story. This is what we think about. I know I think about. This is, this is the message. It's a great message. We see this, just, this continual march of the gospel throughout this whole letter so that they start in Jerusalem and end up in Rome and, and Paul is able even to have an audience with Nero and present the gospel to him the battle though is on all the way through that but we see success because paul in colossians chapter 1 and verse 23 says in those 30 years the gospel was proclaimed to all creation under heaven and and all i can think of when i see that is go yeah we win i forgot to think about what it took to get there Forgot to see what Luke over and over again mentions that it took to get there. In those 30 years, what did it take? It took conflict, social upheaval, beatings, imprisonments, Christians being killed, apostles being killed. That's what it took to get to the great success that we read about. Do you realize that Luke begins, and if we just look at it just chapter-wise, when he begins the conflict over the preaching of the gospel, he talks about it in chapter 4, in chapter 5, in chapter 6, in chapter 7, in chapter 9, in chapter 12, in 13. In 14, in 16, in 17, in 18, in 19, in 21, in 22, in 23, in 24, in 25, in 26, and in 27 and 28, ending with the imprisonment of Paul, 25 of the 28 chapters is filled with a message that when you preach the gospel, battle on. Now tell me that's not a message. How in the world do we so simply read over that? I know how I have. Maybe you're in the same boat. We read this and go, well, that's kind of unusual. (laughs) Well, that's not the way it's always going to be. That was just first century huff and puff by the Roman Empire. No, no, no. Every century since then has seen the same thing. When Christians spread the word, it creates upheaval. It creates cultural upheaval. It creates political upheaval. That's been the idea of the gospel ever since. And Luke cannot be spending that much time giving details of the upheaval that's going on and not be trying to send us a teaching and doctrinal message that this is exactly what you and i have to get ready for that this is what actually happens this is not just an exception in fact we a lot of times read this i have read this i've mentioned this in our acts class well you s- you see how Luke is over and over again showing that Christians are innocent. Why, Paul wasn't trying to overthrow Rome. Well, Paul wasn't trying to do anything bad. Peter wasn't doing that. No, you, you, you just misunderstand, you crazy rulers. Why don't you lay off? This is so silly. And then we go, well, yeah, he did prove that. And that was important. But then we have to face the cold, hard facts of this. Christians were still imprisoned. Christians still lost their homes. Christians were still put to death. Apostles, all of them, were put to death. This is the story regardless of the innocence. Of these individuals and the innocence of any disciples of Christ and then we get this crazy message when disciples share the gospel conflict takes place it may not always be to the extreme that it was in the first century but even in that time it wasn't always extreme but it had conflict and the conflict was to be expected. Are we surprised by this? We shouldn't be. Because in Matthew chapter 10, when Jesus was talking about the preaching, He says, Don't think that I came to bring peace upon the earth. I have come to bring a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against, his, against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemy will be those of his own household. Jesus said, that's the whole purpose i came to bring a sword there is going to be upheaval when i'm preached and that's what jesus gave us and paul in second timothy second timothy is shocking you ever noticed it's absolutely shocking his last letter to Timothy, Timothy the one who is so faithful. Timothy the one who stood by his side the whole time. Timothy the one that Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, there's nobody like him. Paul writes the last letter and says Timothy, what in the world's going on? Quit being ashamed. Demas forsake me. This person's forsaken. Suffering is taking place. As Paul gets near death, people are ashamed to say they know him. Faithful, faithful co-workers with Paul are quitting. Why? Persecution's ramping up. Paul's going to be dead by Nero in just a matter of a few months. And Paul's writing those last words. Here's the message. He is Lord and King. This is summarized, and there is so much we could see in this, but I want you just to simply notice a summary type of conflict that's found in the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. Just notice this as Paul and Silas come in here and begin preaching here at Thessalonica. You see that in verse 4, he says, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did many, a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men from the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the, the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another King Jesus. Those accusations are continued to be made throughout, and those accusations also in a different form are still being made today. We just get a little slow cooked and don't really notice it. Notice the accusations. First, I'm starting with the end because it's the foundation for the others saying there's another king, Jesus. What are they saying? You can't have another king. Nero's the king. The emperor's the king. He's the Lord. He's the God. He's the king. And you cannot say there is another king, Jesus. That's what upset the, what, what was upsetting with Pilate. Pilate said to Jesus, are you a king? Yeah. But I'm, not, I'm not after your throne. Well, that was true, not after the throne, but it doesn't change the fact that you have allegiance to someone other than me. And that's always been a problem. And the second one, they're acting against the decrees of Caesar. It's the idea of where the allegiance is. It is interesting that rulers of this world, even in the United States, have a hissy fit Over the fact that somebody in their empire is not going to blindly do whatever they say to do and not going to go along with every single thing they come about when it violates their faith to the greater king and it hasn't changed But that is exactly what's going on here. Where's your ultimate allegiance? When we put our hand over our heart and said, I pledge allegiance to the flag, there isn't one of us who thought at the time that that meant that that allegiance was greater than our allegiance to Jesus Christ. There is no way. And nobody thought that. Not until some decided just as Nero and other Caesars. Well, but when I need you to do what I tell you to do, regardless of your faith, you must obey it. And that's where the conflict comes. And that's what's seen here. The third statement is they've turned the world upside down. And there is the social upheaval that takes place when Christians form communities We call them, and the scriptures call them, churches. They form communities so that they become obvious to the world, and they're not simply some individuals just happen to be out in the world silently, privately, here and there, giving their praise and honor to God. That's not the idea. The community itself is what begins to threaten money, power, and all the social and economic norms of the day, and that's what was happening then. Look at the the words and how how Luke contrasts this. Here's the trigger point. He is the Lord of all. When he quotes Peter in Acts chapter 10, verse 36, he says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. And then later, when Festus says to Herod Agrippa, how I need to write to the emperor about sending Paul, and he says, I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Same Greek word, both times. And Luke is purposely putting that side by side. He's purposely showing, here is the way the empire is looking at it. The emperor is Lord. He is the Lord of all. And here is what Jesus claims is, he is the Lord of all. And the followers of Jesus will understand that who is Lord of all. That's the message. That's the battle cry. That's the point. It's very similar to the book of Mark. In Mark, the beginning of the the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then as he's writing to the Romans, every Roman is reading that and going, Son of God, I have a coin in my pocket that says, Augustus Caesar, Son of God. There's the battle. Stronger. Who's bigger? Who's more worthy? Who is the one will we give allegiance to? That is the idea here. The essence of preaching the gospel is that question. The essence of what it is in your life and my life is who is the Lord of all? Who is the ultimate allegiance? Who is the ultimate authority? Regardless of anybody else who is that ultimate authority it is jesus he has been enthroned as king he crushed satan he crushed death and he raised and is enthroned as lord of all that's the picture that we are being given and in revelation 17 14 they will make war with the Lamb. And the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him will be called chosen and faithful. That's the picture that is being given. Who is the Lord? Now, you have to stop right here and just say, what in the world? And I've asked this question. You've probably heard me ask, what is the matter with these Jews and Acts and these Romans and stuff like this? Why are you having a meltdown every time the gospel is preached? Every town he goes in, blah, you know, and all of this, everything's coming apart. And you want to sit back and go, those people are cuckoo. I mean, who acts that way? Those people are just crazy. I want to suggest to you their reaction is not abnormal. Mm. It is not abnormal. I want you to think about what's taking place here. In Acts 16, you might remember the, the, those, those who owned a servant girl who had a demon and they're following Paul around and this demon is calling out out of the servant girl over and again. This is, this is, uh, this is uh, Paul who's teaching Jesus Christ and he's the Lord and et cetera, et cetera. And Paul gets frustrated and finally casts the demon out. And what happens? He, he and Silas just get wailed on you say what what is the matter with these people Hmm. those guys recognized he just took away our payday this is economic disaster if he keeps doing this business everything is going to be turned upside down You see, religion, paganism in the empire was the very fabric of the community and the political culture of the day. We have a little bit of that in our American United States pride. We have a little bit of that if we're not careful. We can go too far with that. When Demetrius started a riot at Ephesus, what was it over? Listen to the words that Demetrius said. This Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger not only that this trade of ours might come into disrepute, that's what Demetrius is going to by the way, I'm losing money here, uh, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. Uh, she whom all Asia and the world worship. What are, you, what, are you, what are you saying, Demetrius? You're messing up the whole culture, Paul. You're messing up everything we're doing. You're messing up our peace, our tranquility, our economic, uh, economic prosperity. You're messing everything up. Yes. Here's what Luke is saying. It is impossible to truly preach Christ without affecting the culture around you and affecting the culture of individuals. You see, in the first century, the culture was pagan and the politics were worshiping the emperor. Everything is woven together. The religion and the politics of the day all fit together. And There's no way that Paul or Jesus or anyone was trying to overthrow Rome. There is no way that Jesus was in direct competition with Nero in some way. But if Jesus Christ is the king over your life, if he is the Lord of all over your life, it is going to directly affect every part of your life. And the Roman culture and any culture is going to be changed from darkness Delight. Let me illustrate this with Muslims. How would you feel if Muslims somehow got a hold, could happen, in this country so that they were converting hundreds of thousands of citizens of the United States? And those citizens were eventually getting elected to high office, and they were instituted Sharia law all over the country. How would you feel? I'd be going a little cuckoo. (laughs) I'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're changing our country. You're changing our laws. You're turning things upside down. Exactly. Exactly. Now you see the effect of Christianity on the culture of the day that's what happens and everybody gets upset it was a natural reaction to this but that is exactly what God wanted to happen because he's shining light into the darkness when Tertullus refers to Paul in his speech to Felix, he calls him the plague throughout the whole world. Is he right? Well, no. But what? You say, well, that's extreme. Tell us that. I mean, you're just way out there and all this kind of stuff. And he's going, "Uh, whatever. But what is Luke teaching us? People are going to say extravagant crazy things about you. When you stand for Jesus. When you teach what Jesus really is about, when you teach a change and how lifestyles are to be lived, that's what's going to happen. Christ comes in conflict over and again with the present culture. And you know enough, even if you haven't watched the news, you know enough that the present culture is changing enough that Christ is counter cultural, as he has always been. And we, when we stand for him, are certainly going to have the same thing happen. What is really the argument of Tertullus? It's sedition. You're causing turmoil. You're causing people to be upset. You're causing division. You're causing people to want to overthrow our whole Roman culture that we love so much. That's what you're doing. Did you happen to see a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, in London, England? A woman, the whole video on it, you look it up. A woman walks and stands up against a wall. With an abortion clinic on the other side of her. Doesn't stand in the entrance, doesn't stand on the steps, doesn't stand at the door, doesn't stand anyplace else. She stands way down from where the entrance is. She just stands up against the wall and she stands like this. She never says one word to one person. She never opens her mouth to anyone who walks by her or anything else. She just stands there, and two police officers show up and say, What are you doing standing here? Just standing here. Are you praying? in my mind. Cuff, cuff, gone. Happened again the other day. Cuff, cuff, gone. It is a challenge to them being the ultimate authority. And the same thing has happened for quite some time in America. You remember the cake guy in the bakery in Colorado? He won the case at the Supreme Court. But they didn't make it specific enough. They waffled and they're still after him. And the state of Colorado is hounding the living daylights out of him. They have activists going, you must make a cake with Satan on it and uh, doing terrible things to Christ. You must do this, you must do that. And if he doesn't do it, another lawsuit. This is coming, this is not coming from an individual. This is coming from the state. Throw out phobia. Something phobia. Well, you're just phobic about that. No, no, I'm not afraid of any person. I love them. Throw out labels and you can discard people over and over again. Haters. I'm not hating anybody. You're turning the world upside down. You're a plague. That's exactly what was going on at that time. This is to alert us of something very, very important. We cannot preach Christ in a way that does not turn personal lives and culture upside down. It just isn't so. Conflict with the culture eventually takes place. Why haven't we experienced? this Roman reaction that we're reading about though, in the book of Acts. Why haven't we, we, we actually had that same thing uh, with us? Maybe some of it is of our own hesitance. We've all felt it. We're afraid to talk to somebody and get too personal. We don't want to be called a meddler. We don't get a bad reputation I baptized a lady when I was living in Fayetteville in our neighborhood after a while she began to say ah, I, don't, I don't know if I go along with all of this and then she went around all the neighbors and told them how bad we were well that's okay that's what happened to Paul that's what happened to others the preaching of the gospel should and will engage and challenge the present culture Luke's message is this is God's intention. It hasn't happened widespread simply because our founding fathers understood a very important thing. He is Lord of all. And they wrote it in the Constitution. And they put it there in a a way to say God is the one who created. And the First Amendment gave us a freedom to express our faith and that the Government could not supersede that. But that's not what's happened. How'd you enjoy different rulers? Fortunately, our governor didn't. Exercising emergency powers so they could tell you whether or not you could meet and when you could meet and whatever. The governor of Kentucky sent police officers into parking lots and wrote down license plate numbers of people who hadn't even gotten out of their car. It's an intimidation of saying who's the Lord and who's Lord of all and who is King. How's the battle being waged, though? Today, the battle is waged over and over again with gender and sexuality and same sex marriage, etc. You might not have noticed, maybe you did, that in 2015. The Supreme Court ruled a five to four decision that same-sex marriage was legal. I know what Americans are thinking. Well, freedom for everybody. Well, see, the problem is how they argued it. They argued it from the 14th Amendment and the Due Process Clause and the Equal Protection Clause that was put in 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 1868 following the Civil War to protect African Americans and all citizens of not having equal process. And now it has been turned into, I have the exact same rights. It's called racial profiling or racial inequality to say that somebody of the same sex could not get married. And that now the LGBTQ community, et cetera, are using this to say, you have to hire us in religious organizations. You have to hire us and let us be a part of churches. You have to let us be on, in school campuses. You have to be, we can be a part of a Christian organization that doesn't believe this. You have to let us do this. Why is that important? It's not because of the thing itself. It's because the question is being asked, who's Lord of all? That's the question. Who's Lord of all? And there's a sly way of trying to continue to get around it. And that's the battle. It's the battle that is now going on here even in America. Now here's the great warning as we bring this to close. Their goal is to upend personal decisions of our faith. Luke's message is, we are never to think militantly. We never take this militantly. It is not about overthrowing anybody. Notice the passages very quickly. Acts 13, 50 52, but the Jews incited the devout women of the high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district, but they shook off their, the dust of their feet and they, and against them and went to Iconium. Acts 14, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. In Acts 17, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And they arrived. when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. What's happening over and over again? They just leave. Just leave. Nobody's trying. To, Paul gets stoned. He doesn't go, I'm taking you to court. <laughs> they, all the, they just leave and do what? Go the next place and keep teaching. That's all we do. That's it. We're not going to march on Washington. We're not going to try to get the president disbarred or whatever you do. Nah, don't care about that. We are here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus will take care of the political part of it. He's the one who put him there. He'll take care of that. That's his business. The Lord's mission, as Paul said in Acts 26, is to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's our job. God intended a, an apocalypse on this world. Apocalypse is the idea, not in the modern sense, it's the idea of bringing light in and exposing the darkness. Three things, then, about our mission and our job as Christians that will create upheaval. Christian mission is countercultural, first and foremost. The pagans didn't try to teach the world about paganism. That was, they, they were not proselytizers. Jesus has given us a mission, the great commission to evangelize the world, to bring light to the whole world, to bring the fact that Jesus is Lord of all to the whole world. Secondly, Christian assemblies invades the culture. Acts 11, don't have time to go through that, but in Acts 11, it's very clear. They are suddenly, Gentiles are coming to Christ. And it's at Antioch. that The disciples are first, first called Christians. We read that and we go, oh yeah, 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 first time Christians. That was a derogatory term. The community around them had a way to identify them and cast them out. Herod used that term. Do you know Luke never used the term Christian when he was giving his narrative about disciples? He quoted it. But he never used it. He used the way. He used other things. He used the disciples. He didn't use Christian. Not that it's wrong to be called a Christian. Not that we don't accept it. But I'm telling you what the method was and the motive was and what that method and motive was is what kept people in the position of knowing they were on the defense. And the third thing is the vision of Christ is profoundly intolerant. And you see it all the way through Acts. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in him. What did, he, what did Paul expect Lystra to do right there? You had to throw your whole culture out, dude. In, in uh, chapter 17, the times of ignorance God has overlooked but now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead chapter 4 11 12 Peter says this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builders which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven among which men shall be saved that's intolerance of anything else and Paul Agrippa said to Paul, In short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. I want everybody this way. I want everybody to follow Christ. It's a universal call for conversion, it's a universal call for particip- participation in a community of Christ. And it's a universal call to live out the pattern of life that follows Jesus as Lord of all. That's the call over and over again. He is Lord of all. That's the message. Quick conclusion. Preaching in the gospel is narrow and or intolerant. Paul's intention throughout this letter is the proclamation of the gospel. That's his intention. Acts is not to be read in some kind of encyclopedic way. We are to see ourselves in this same story. I sent this outline to my son, Scott, and he wrote this conclusion. Jesus' kingdom has not come to merely change some little bits of privately held religion. It has come to reorder the whole cosmos around Jesus' lordship. Jesus' Lordship is reordering everything from the desires of our hearts to the actions of our bodies, from our dinner tables to Caesar's throne, from the school to the marketplace. So we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we long for the day when the trumpet sounds and voices in heaven shout, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I don't know how somebody came out of me could write something so beautiful. Amen. Thank you for listening and paying attention to a little bit longer lesson. I appreciate you all. We're going to sing a song. If We can help you in any way. Please remember Jesus is Lord of all as we stand and sing.